This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. Relationships and relationships that matter. What do we mean when we employ this word? What do we mean when we say that we have are that we are in relationship with one another? What role does relationships play in our sense of community? Marcus and I will explore these and other questions on today's show. We'll be in conversation with two members of the current seated class of the William C. Friday Fellowship for Human Relations, Dr. DeSandra Washington and Clint Wilson. Once again, Marcus and I are glad to be here with you. Marcus, it's good to be back here uh, recording another show. Although we can no longer say that we're in the studio, I guess we, we would say we're in our home studios now, right? Yeah, home studios, but, you know, we're on a roll nonetheless. So Right. Yeah, so we're going to get used to this Zoom platform. It, it yeah. does give us the opportunity to be in conversation with many more people. I mean, mm-hmm. we love being in the studio um, and having guests in the studio, but this format has allowed us to kind of uh, expand the, the number of guests that we're able to have on the show, even the number of guests that we can have in any given show. Yeah. And, and I think at least for me, I mean, even though this Zoom platform is less than ideal, the opportunity to engage a wider range of guests, um, I think has been very enriching for the show. So, you right. know, I look forward to continuing that trend. All right. Me too. So, well, here we are again. We're talking about relationships. And Marcus, you and I have been talking about this com- about this topic for quite some time. And, you know, in my I'm of the opinion, too, Marcus, as as, as I was doing show prep for this show of thinking about relationships really is at the heart of what we really do with the Waters and Harvey show. Mm-hmm. It's about how people are in relationship with each other individually. We've talked about the relationship that you and I have built over the course of the past couple of years. Well, the past few years, it's been seven years. Time goes by so fast, but um, it's a a deeply professional and collegial relationship. Mm -hmm. It has enhanced my kind of view of the broader world. It's enhanced my work. And we've talked about collective relationships as well, how we as a community are in relationship with each other. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I think this idea of relationship is it really goes to to the to the core of the show and i think you know given what is going on currently in in broader society um you know conversations about serious probing conversations about relationship um are much needed perhaps perhaps more so than um than they have been in in recent years so i think we're i think we are um, right where we need to be as <laughs> right. far discussing right. topics that are germane to what is being experienced on the ground. Well, you know, Marcus, there's a question that occurs to me as I think about mm-hmm. this too, and as I was thinking about show prep and this particular show, that we have used this term and we've heard it, other people use this term, authentic relationships, mm-hmm. you know, and so I throw the question out to you when we talk about authentic relationships, what, I mean, what do we, what do we mean by that? Yeah. And honestly, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not overly fond of this term authentic. I mean, I think it's, I think it's somewhat sticky. I think, I think it's, it's very easy to slip into sort of, um, imprecise ways of thinking about authenticity within the context of relationship. Um, But what comes to mind for me in response to that question is the idea, not only of relationship as a practice, right, but relationship as a constructive or developmental practice. And I think that's what we're sort of, that's what we've been getting at on the show in these recent discussions. What does it mean to, to think about and to pursue relationship as a constructive practice that is that is um, aimed at building something 
mm-hmm. right? Building something that is that is meaningful, that is salutary, that is a value um, to the broader community. And I no think right. I, 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 I'm sensing that um, as I reflect on um, our, our last few conversations, that really is the the model or the conception of relationship that we have in mind mm-hmm. in pursuing this this topic repeatedly over the past few years. Right, right. And, and then, Marcus, this kind of drives us to this whole concept and this idea of practicing relationships. Mm-hmm. How do, What does that mean? What does it mean to practice relationship? And our audience knows, and we're so glad to have them joining us again. They know that you, every now and then you and I will take a dig at each other. <laughs> and given the conversations that you and I have had and no Knowing that, um, I'm just wondering how you are practicing relationship with uh, with my godson Carter. <laughs> okay, this, is, this is the second dig in, in what less than two weeks. <laughs> That's right. No, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I would put it this way: he's he's at a stage in his development where um, he is wanting to very much steer the ship of relationship, <laughs> um, and so and so I, we're we're sort of um, butting heads a little bit in that respect. But I think I think I think. I'm learning what it means to practice relationship with the, with the four-year-old and he learning what, and, and he in turn is learning what it means to practice relationship, you know, with his, with his much older and much more experienced father. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think, I think he and I probably would have very different things to say about what it means to practice relationship. Mm-hmm. And Marcus, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, you mentioned Carter, I mentioned Jonathan and Lewis, my two sons that everyone has heard us talk about Jonathan and Lewis before and Carter, that it, you know, this idea of practicing relationship uh, gets much more complicated the older they get, believe me, you know, so it's a, it's a challenge for me as well. Um, Marcus, you know, so I, I am, um, I'm thinking about, you know, the conversation that we had in our previous show with, uh, with Dr. Diane Stewart and everyone is by now has heard that show. Um, she talked about you because you used a term there that reminded me of that relation, that conversation with Diane, um, about, you know, Carter, and I know you said it jokingly that he is trying to steer the ship of relationship. Mm-hmm. In some ways, that kind of emerged in the conversation that we had with Diane when we discussed the idea of patriarchy, especially in relationships between men and women in the context of marriage. So I'm wondering in overall, overall, when we think about our relationships with each other and with people, is there ever time that there's a dynamic in the relationship where one person is trying to steer it? Um, more so than the other person and and what is involved in that give and take and what do we need to do to make sure I guess we use the term equity that there's equity in how the relationship is actually developing yeah and I and I think you know with that in mind because I'm, I'm thinking also to the show we did uh, before the show with Diane with Dr. Chris Cooper we were talking about the election and, and all the dynamics surrounding that um, I, I think it's also important for us to be honest about the fact that um, even even at the level of interpersonal relationality or interpersonal relationship, um, there is a kind of power dynamic at, at play, right? I mean, there, there is a way in which, you know, um, power, even on that micro level, is being negotiated, mm-hmm. right? And so we so we can't talk about the interpersonal um, as if it is somehow um, exempt from the complexities and the struggles of, of the political. Mm-hmm. It is not. <laughs> um, so, so, so the question becomes, um, what, how, how, do, how do we go about negotiating, right, in a, in a const- and again, in a constructive, developmental, salutary way, how do we go about um, 
negotiating that power dynamic in ways that that are beneficial for mm-hmm. for, for 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 both parties. But right. but yeah, I mean, and I, and and this came up for me again when I was thinking about the conversation with Diane. Um, the interpersonal, I would argue, is probably you know just as shot through with the political as the sort of macro. Um, community, social level, mm-hmm. right? and I think it's important that we that we be honest, about, yeah. honest about that. And you think about the you know the, the relationships, relationships in the larger sense, and thinking about collective, uh, collectively. I mean, your use of the word political are the politics of that. I think is quite uh, appropriate here to think about that. And I wonder sometimes, Marcus, what can we do? Because when we think about politics, you think about you know mm-hmm. politics can be rough and tumble. It's it's a rough and tumble sport. And um, and you think about that, this pull back and forth, what can we do? Is there a way that the politics and especially the strain that politics can put on relationship development, whether or not it, whether that be individually or collectively, is there a way to diffuse that? And I'm wondering about these thoughts that you've had to at least diffuse it. You're not going to get rid of it. It's going to always be there, but can you diffuse it in a way that makes it more it makes the development of relationships between people um, a a bit more fluid and more satisfying. Um, Now, I think about what you have said in the past, and I'm hoping that maybe you will jump on it again here about story being the entryway into relationship. Mm -hmm. So is it, is story uh, finding out the stories of others um is that a possible way to help kind of diffuse the political strain that relationship development can have whether it be individually or collectively yeah i i think you definitely are, are on to something there um i think um i think what i would add to what i've said pre- in previous shows about story is that one of the one of the value of the practice of um the, the practice of of sharing story, story. One of the values of that is that um, the hearing of story, the receiving of story, the engagement of others' stories um, has a way of fostering empathy in in the hearer of the story, in the in the in the recipient of the story. And I think you know once once that kind of um, empathic dynamic is 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 established, then I think the conversations about uh, for example, um, equitable power power distribution, et cetera, mm-hmm. become more possible, right? Because you, you have now become acquainted with the other person's story. And not only that, you now are you now um, um, uh, sort of have empathy for that story and for the teller of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and so and so I think that you're on something there in terms of thinking about story as an entree into a, a more sort of equitable model of mm-hmm. a relationship. However, what I would add to that though, is that I, I think what is equally important is that persons understand the importance of, of really being committed to relationship as a form of labor. It is a form of labor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, it does require work. It, it requires sustained processual work protracted work over extended periods of time. And I think if, 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 if you have a situation where both parties are not equally committed to that labor, right, then the vision that you're describing, this more equitable vision of relationship becomes almost impossible, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and it will certainly sort of breed, breed frustration. And I think right. work against um, 
work against uh, the the fostering of empathy. So I think commitment to to the labor of relationship is equally important. You're Marcus. You're right. And one of the reasons why in our audience know you all in our audience know that Marcus and I have been raising these questions because there are so many conversations going on not only here locally here in Nashville where we are, but across the state of North Carolina, across the country, about what do we do to rebuild a sense of community to reconnect. I have mentioned on a number of occasions that the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University has taken on this this question of reconnecting and especially reconnecting to community in a three-year project that they've done. I think they're coming to the end of that. So people are talking about this need to reconnect. How can we do that? Now, Marcus, are you talking about um, your response to that last question story as an entry point? It reminds me that it, for me that there are two key components, I believe. There are others, I'm sure, that we could talk about, but two major components that I think are necessary to giving us the chance to actually develop the type of relationships that can rebuild this sense of community that so many people desire to have. One of those components is, as you mentioned, listening. And the other one you mentioned as well is time. And this is one of the reasons why I so appreciate what the William C. Friday Fellowship is doing, because they built both of these components into the fellowship. Now, we've talked to Dr. Doster about this to Meredith in a conversation that we had with her, both in JoJo. And we're going to dig more into that today. We also want to say that Meredith is here with us again to kind of join this conversation when we come back to it, to the larger conversation. But Marcus, it just strikes me me that if we're going to reconnect to community the way that so many people say they desire to reconnect and to build that sense of community, then being able to listen and taking the time to allow real relationships to develop is going to be absolutely necessary. Yeah. And then, and also as, as, as we, as we touched on last show, understanding the importance of understanding that, that listening, right. Mm -hmm. The practice of listening is itself an investment. <laughs> right. It, it requires an investment of time and energy, which, which goes back to my earlier point about relationship is labor. Right. So. So and I, I think I think part of what we've what we've arrived at um, in our conversations over the past uh, couple of weeks about relationship and building community <laughs> is that, um, you know, we, we can no longer really think think about or discuss relationship in some sort of abstract way. Mm. That does not place direct burdens, direct practical burdens on us as the individuals who are trying to to think about and then enact more mm -hmm. equitable relationships right? right so i think you know the these conversations have have um have placed an even more urgent burden right. upon us. Well, thank you, Marcus. It is. Thank you for making that point. And we just want to, for those of you who are just joining us in this conversation, this again is the Waters and Harvey radio show at Blue Ridge Public Radio. Marcus and I are in conversation again today, and the topic that we're discussing is relationships, which is a bit a topic that we've been discussing for a while. And we're really glad to have a, a couple of people, three people a, to be to be exact, who are joining us in this conversation. We want to just say first that we have again, as we just mentioned earlier, Dr. Meredith Doster with us again. Meredith is the co-director for the William C. Friday Fellowship. She is also the lead faculty. I have the privilege and the pleasure of working with uh, with Meredith. Meredith um, has really um, put a lot of thought in how she's developed the program for the current class. 2020-2022 uh, 
class that is currently uh, now meeting and, and building relationships. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But Meredith, we want to thank you for joining us here again. Oh, Thanks, thank Meredith. You. Thank you both for having me. It's always such a pleasure to share this virtual time and space with you uh, in this unusual uh, pandemic season. So thank you for the opportunity to both be in relationship and to be in conversation today. It's a real pleasure. And Meredith, I just have to say that we've gotten a lot of feedback, Marcus, and I think both of us have gotten a lot of feedback from the shows that we've done with you because people can always tell that we have been in relationship with each other for a long time. And those conversations are just a heck of a lot of fun to kind of be involved in. So we're glad to have you here with us today. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what, you know, I think the way that I would like to do this, Marcus, can normally we take the role of introducing the other guests today, but really Meredith has been working to develop the relationship that she has with our two guests uh, for a while. I am now involved in that process as well. So I've gotten to know both of the guests, but I, what I want to do is kind of let Meredith take just take it here, Meredith, and let you introduce to us who is joining us in this conversation again today. Well, I'll be delighted to do so. And in so doing, I will model one of our fellowship's practices, which is that of the in-gathering. And so it is not for me necessarily to introduce these wonderful North Carolinians who are part of our current cohort, but to hold space for them to call themselves into this conversation. And so we did seat our cohort in October of this fall, and I'm excited for the fellows on this call to be able to share in their own words um, just what the program is offering and how it is impacting their lives and leadership in the state, but we did open our fellowship experience with an in-gathering ceremony. By design, it's an opportunity for folks to really um, be present to the to the conversation at hand and to call in uh, the, the things that matter to them. And so I don't want to be prescriptive in my introduction of these fellows, but instead would really just love to invite each of our guests today to introduce themselves in ways that are meaningful to them and to the communities that they serve. So with your all's permission, I would love. And Desandra, I remember from our fellowship weekend that you were the very first one to go in our um, interview with Dr. Waters. So I will just invite you to once again be a first. I know that's a resonant word in your life story um, and to just introduce yourself this afternoon in ways that matter to you. Thank you, Meredith. Well, I am Desandra and I'm glad to be here and participate today. This is exciting time for us. Um, when you're talking about to convene and introduce ourselves and the first word that come to mind, you know, we love these P words and that is the present. So um, I'm glad to be here in the present to share my perception of the current pulse of the world and, and um, obtain other views like Clinton, others, and glad to help hold this conversation. We're glad to have you here with us, Desandra. Mm-hmm. And Clint, what about, oh, sorry, Darren, please. No, 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 go ahead, Meredith, please. Clint, what about you? How would you like to call yourself in? Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Wilson. I reside currently in Greensboro, North Carolina, but I am a native of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, And so I'm so happy to be here engaging with you all, wonderful intellectuals, as we discuss um, the pulse, as I'll use the Sandra's word. of our nation right now and our com- our individual communities um, concerning relationships and where we are going from here. So I'm 
so excited about the conversation that we're going to have. All right. Well, thank you for both for joining us. And I know that both of you are educators. Um, uh, and so we are among, you know, friends here, people who have uh, camaraderie as far as our colleagueship goes. Um, so it's always good to be in conversation with other educators across the state. And, and you, we want to talk a little bit about what is going on in your part of the state and, and especially as and how you see community. But before we jump into that, one of the things that I would like to talk to you about, because um, I had the pleasure of getting to to spend time, you know, DeSandra, we were able to spend time yes. in person um, in a part of the state down in Rockingham when your group actually convened there. COVID has kind of restricted our ability to kind of bring the entire uh, cohort of fellows together right now. But that, I mean, I just enjoy being in person. I'm in a, And again, right here, I want to um, just really uh, just say bravo to Merida for bringing us together even virtually in a way that was real meaningful. Um, Meredith knows we we talked about this. I was somewhat dreading having to be on Zoom for that many days, but it turned out to be such a um, such a, a, a really good and refreshing and I think rejuvenating time that we all spent together. So it was a pleasure for me to get a chance to actually hear some of your story. And, you know, Desandra, I know that you didn't say where you, I don't think you you told us where you were from, but you're down in Fayetteville, right? Yes. You're in Cumberland County. And I would like to say, Desandra, just to let the audience know, because they've talked, they've heard me talk about my previous background as probation parole officer. That's something that Desandra and I actually share in common. We didn't know that we were working uh, in the uh, Department of Correction as probation and parole officers, I think around the same years. Um, yes. She was in Durham, I was in Raleigh. So that would be a conversation in and of itself. But where I would like to start, and I think Marcus and I would agree, we both would just like to start about your involvement with the William C. Friday Fellowship. I mean, what prompted your involvement with the William C. Friday Fellowship? And anybody um, can take it first here. Okay. okay. Um, I thought it was interesting when I first heard about the William C. Friday vision, when it talks talked about um, engaging differences transparent decisions and because of the current pulse I, I was curious about how they could be how is it possible with the current pulse of the world with all the differences that collectively folks can come together Fayetteville North Carolina folks and hold a respectable courageous conversation with one another to respect the differences so that was the buy-in for me like is this doable? Is this doable today not to hold on to just meism? It's all about mm -hmm. what I want, what I think. And I was curious for to see if this is something that's doable among adults. Are we able to convene whole conversations and listen to the differences of how to enhance our communities? Mm -hmm. So that was the first buy-in for me to try to be a part of this cohort group. Interesting. So, Clint, how, how about you? I mean, what attracted you to the fellowship? And Desandra, I'm sure that Marcus, I see Marcus is thinking, too, and we'll let Marcus jump in here, too. But there's some words that you use that I want to come back to, Desandra. I mean, you use this word respectable and courageous conversation. So I really want to hold that and come back to that. But, Clint, what about you? I mean, what attracted you to the William C. Friday Fellowship? Well, I'm, I am a person of relationship building. Um, 
And I always believe you're going to get out what you get in, what you put in. And so how I was first um, introduced to this program, uh, one of my best friends actually is a member of the last cohort. Um, and I was just seeing how he was able to matriculate through the last two years and how he grew and how um, his relationship and how he his leadership has grown since he started with the program. I was like, that's something I want to be a part of. And he told me more about it. And then I was interested and I applied, but I would have never thought that it would be the way it was or the way it is for us. Um, you just learn so much. You learn so much of en with engagement. You learn so much with your own personal growth and you open up to these people that are like-minded but they're so different from you mm -hmm. i think that's the that's the thing we all have a like mind is that we want to learn or garner information from each other mm -hmm. but we're yet but yet we're so different we have different backgrounds we're different uh, different personalities ethnicities um age age um groups etc 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 but we're still able to sit in a room or a square <laughs> and um and learn from each other and respect each other's opinions and differences um so that's what really attracted me to this and that's what is continuing to attract me to this organization yeah and and and, and thanks for those responses to sandra and, and clinton sandra I'm, I'm thinking about and i think this is what darren was talking about coming back to your point about um, wondering uh, when you were applying for the fellowship and then when the, when the fellowship um, uh, began and you had your first sort of convening, whether or not these sort of respectable, um, courageous conversations were even possible, especially with, within our, our current um, political climate, social mm -hmm. climate, et cetera. Um, I'm curious to hear more from you, um, Desandra, and also Clint. Um, about 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 that point, um, and even and even also about why why we're even asking that question, right? Why I mean, shouldn't it be self? It, it, it seems to me that you know, from one point of view, uh, uh, one might assume, well, of course, this kind of this kind of um, uh, engagement is possible. We live in the in, you know in the U.S. of A. Of course, this is possible. But what I hear, sort of, the Sandra. Um, questioning, and I, and I think you know, I, I think Clint's comments are, are are pertinent as well. What I hear Desandra questioning is, well, um, to, to what extent are we actually able to engage one another as Americans as American citizens in ways that are um, on the most basic level, I would say, um, defined by a kind of a mutual respect and a mutual courageous willingness to engage one another. So, so any, any further thoughts that you both might have about that would be, would, would, would be much appreciated. Well, when, I'm, when I was applying, I'm thinking of speak your truth. Yeah, I can actually mm. speak my truth without the negative consequences. I was looking at the consequences of the transparency of currently um, courageous conversations are associated, associated with entitlement. So are you are you entitled currently to hold courageous conversations? Are you a part of that group that may or may not hold courageous conversations without the negative connotation or consequences? And that was a main concern of mine. So it's so interesting, Darren, in day two of convening, when our group met, we had one majority and three minorities and the conversation just flowed so easily it was very it was an epiphany like an aha moment that that 
it, it could be doable. But then mm-hmm. again, I was apprehensive because it was only day two. <laughs> and it wasn't the group collectively. It was four of us. So will my truth be heard and respected group wise through all other fellows? Mm-hmm. And I think that that was um, a pause for me uh, once I became in the group um, to, yes, yeah, speak my truth. But to what extent will it be doable? So, yeah, Clint, so what about you? I think it's about how you cultivate faith. And so you have to start with how are you cultivating a safe space for people to be able to speak their truth or speak about where they're coming from or the engagement piece. Um, And I believe that we started out with sort of giving of yourself, um, however you saw fit and comfortable. And so as others, and I was the last person to actually introduce myself that evening. And so at first, I was like, I'm just going to say my name, where I'm from, what I do, and I'm keeping this name moving. I don't know this, folks. So um, that was my first thought. Um, but then as, as others were willing to give of themselves, I felt like it would be disrespectful if I didn't give of myself. Right. And so it's, it's, it's about cultivating that safe space. And it takes a courageous person to make that courageous step to have that courageous conversation. Mm-hmm. And so those those that came before me were able to make the, to have those courageous conversations. And so it built up my confidence to be able to give a little bit more of myself than I would have if I probably went first. Right. And so um, it's just about it's like I said, it start out with it's about cultivating those spaces. And I think it was executed excellent, mm-hmm. excellently especially during the parameters of being in a box where we are currently. Um, And so it felt like those walls were just all melted away. We were able to have those conversations, those real conversations. So it's just about cultivating spaces. So let me ask you, Sandra, you you mentioned both of you. Did you go into this with some doubts as to whether or not this could actually happen? And so it, it may, it's so, you know, what was that like? And, 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 you know, and I'm wondering in my mind, as I think about the space that has been cultivated here and how the fellowship works, and this is to remind me, correct me if I'm wrong here, Meredith, but the 20th, is this the 25th year of, or the, tw- the 25th year of the William C. Friday Fellowship? And most of our listeners have heard us talk about who Bill Friday, William Friday was. I mean, he was, you know, the quintessential, I would say, North Carolinian. He was uh, the quintessential relationship developer. He knew how to develop relationships. And it's interesting as we think about this right now, because we're hearing this a lot. I, I've been listening to one uh, you know, political pundit um, who is talking about his the recent book that he wrote on Harry Truman and how Harry Truman had really, over the course of his political career, just his life, built these relationships with people across the aisle, but knew how to kind of work those relationships to those relationships in a way that was that enabled him to move the needle, you know, to get things done. So I'm hearing you both kind of suggest that there was some, you know, some doubt as to whether or not this was possible, but has have those doubts kind of been kind of uh, erased or how are you feeling about this now? Yeah. And, and to sort of add on to, to Darren's question, um, I'm, and this question was generated by by by, by Clint's remarks. Uh, any thoughts that you both might have about what is it about about 
life in American society? Um, what is it about, um, you know, living in America that seems to predispose us towards not doing what Clinton was talking about, mm-hmm. namely, namely being willing to give of ourselves in the context of, you know, uh, introductions to other people or relationships? What is it about American life that, that seems to predispose us towards that? If you all want to uh, touch on that as well after you uh, respond to Darren's question. Mm-hmm. But. I, I just think we have preconceived beliefs. And because of that, we act upon those and they mold everything. So it's the land of the free, home of the brave, but for whom? Correct. It's not for all. Um, And I think that's why a lot of behaviors are the way they are. But I do have to commend Meredith because psychology one-on-one, I'm like, man, she's a smart lady. Because the way she had it all structured and that it wasn't, and the way it was structured was that you will want to give of yourself. It wasn't structured in a way where we were told exactly what was you needed to say. You were given an overall template. So she made it easier in order to divulge, in order to take the wall and the shells down and by like I said, after day two, you felt like you wanted to be a part and give your input. And, you know, and based on everyone else, the way they respected your beliefs and, and respecting others, it felt easier as time as we went on over those four days. Yeah. It's all up to the leader. Yeah. And setting the pace and the cultural. Definitely. I agree with that statement. Um, I also think that in the climate that we're in with the civil unrest and, um, of course, the pandemic, it sort of took a whole new spin, uh, the whole new spin on things, um, how we are doing things, how we operate with each other, how we see each other, how we view each other, um, how we feel like we're viewed. And so I think that also gave me a little pause about what to say and how to move initially. Um, And so just like DeSandra said, just when you saw that people were giving of themselves and um, the leadership that Meredith gave with just uh, an overview, but not making you say anything specifically, um, I think it it just made it okay. It made it okay. It's all about how you say things, not exactly what you say. You can have an opinion that's different than mine, but if you deliver it in a way, I'm okay with it. But it's a certain tone. If you use a certain tone, that's when it becomes something that's maladaptive. So it's just, it's just, you know, everyone's not going to agree. And it's supposed to be in a large group of 20 plus individuals that have life experience. Everyone is not going to agree, but it's just how you say things and how you deliver the package. Um, how you wrap the package and how you deliver it. So I think that seeing that people had different views, even though they might've been around centered around common themes, but different views, um, but the way the delivery happened and the packaging happened made it okay. So Clint, this kind of brings to mind a a curiosity of mine. And I know Meredith that 
the selection committee, you all were very intentional about how this class was put together, how the cohort was brought together. And I know diversity was a, a key part of that. And it's not just only racial and gender diversity that's involved in that, but you were also looking for maybe in a way, you know, uh, diversity in people's kind of views of the world, their opinions. Um, and so, I'm curious that another component of this was leadership, right? The role, because this is a leadership development fellowship, is is continuing the process of kind of strengthening your roles as leaders. So you were selected for this fellowship because you're already leading in some capacity in your local communities. So I'm curious, you know, DeSandra, you're in Fayetteville, Clint, you're in Greensboro, you know, Marcus and I and Meredith, we're all up here in the mountains and we have a real view of what our community here looks like. I'm involved in conversations across the states. So I have some sense of what things look like across the state, but specifics, you know, I'm curious about specifics. How do things look in your individual communities? Communities, And I'm curious as to your opinion about whether or not the things that you got out of the first convening of the fellowship, do you feel that those things can be translated to the larger community in your work in those communities? That's deep. (laughs) (laughs) I think it depends on which pocket of the community. I'm in a very precarious situation, I think, because I'm in so many different pockets within my community. And even uh, when we had to do our interview, I gave the gift of my church um, itinerary with all the misspelled words, with all the in-house print, as opposed to the links incorporated, my organization supposedly cream of the crop Mm -hmm. with their no budget gloss brochure. And I'm a part of both communities but my concern is could they come together and they don't Mm -hmm. so my frustration would be um who do i what which one would be a priority Mm -hmm. is it because you have more resources should they approach less should i give the one with less resources my time first or do i go to the one that is more acceptable or the one that's more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. So that is, I grapple with that type of decision mm-hmm. every day because I'm involved heavily in both pockets of community daily. Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer for that, a clear okay. answer well, for that one at all. You know, Desandra, I think that that's an important mark because I, you know, you chime in here too, and mm-hmm. then we'll come back to Clint. But I think that, you know, Desandra, you make a very important point here when you talk about how we prioritize things, who gets priority, and especially when it comes to resources and resources that communities have what part of the community is being prioritized here. And I think the way that you did this in the context of uh, a a local church and then looking at an organization like the Lynx, which is, you know, Marcus, at some point, we may have to have a conversation about the Divine Nine, the, um, Mm -hmm. you know, fraternities and sororities within African-American communities and what that means. I mean, and I think it's it's appropriate that DeSandra is bringing it up here because DeSandra, I think you're also a member of AKA, right? Which is, which Marcus 
his mother is an, an AKA. Yeah, and my sister. And, yes, right. And many of you in the audience who are listening to this conversation right now are probably hearing a lot about AKA because the you know vice president elect is a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, um, the sorority. So I think that to Sandra, this point about prioritizing, this this is a really really big point um, to make. You know, and Marcus, I thought about this when I heard Sandra make that comment about who do we prioritize here. It made me think of how our society is so divided by class. You know, mm-hmm. and the class structure within society. So I don't know what you were thinking, Marcus, but this, you know, that really generated a lot of thought in my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, that that, and also, you know, the role going back to relationships, right? The, the role that community, that relationship, the, the role that that the relationship to different communities have with those in positions to allocate resources, right? right. The, the role that those relationships play in who gets what, mm-hmm. and and who gets how much of what, right? So mm-hmm. there, there there really are measurable, tangible consequences to how how well or not well or we, we built relationships or um you know to to uh you know the, the quality of our relationship with 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 this entity or, or that organization i mean it, it really is just uh we, we can't overstate the importance of relationship building with respect to this to this issue um but clint other thoughts about um about your community context yeah i would say in greensboro we in my view, we're staying stagnant, stagnant in legacy. And, and what I mean by that is, as you all know, the Greensboro Four, um, the whole World Wars um, sit in, let's counter sit in in the 1960s. So we're only 60 years removed from that. But but I feel like we're staying stagnant in that. And we have so much work that we could be doing. Um, we're more of a minority type of um area now, um, especially in the school system. Um, Hispanic is really on the rise. Um, Latinx community, um, our African-American community is on the rise. And so, um, there, but there's still inequities. Um, there's still prejudice. There's still racism that is very prevalent in the Greensboro community. Um, and so we're look, we need leaders to rise up. And I did see a lot of that during the civil unrest over the past couple of months you know, um, the, um, having peaceful demonstrations and things of that nature in downtown Greensboro. And it was very reminiscent of like older individuals that still live here said it was very reminiscent of when they were younger and mm-hmm. uh, doing the sit-ins and things of that nature. So, but I just don't want our community to get stagnant. And I do agree there's a, there's a big have have versus have nots here in Greensboro. Big, <laughs> Yeah, Marcus, yeah. you know, look, look, I'm I'm hearing a lot for us to build off of on future oh. conversations and shows that we have, because from time to time, Marcus and I will do these reflection shows where we reflect on conversations that we've had with guests. And so we just want you to, you know, this point that you're bringing up here, Clint, is also very important mm-hmm. of thinking about becoming stagnant in legacy market that mm-hmm. you know that is really making me really think and especially as a historian who is always talking about and cultivating the past and trying to cultivate a historical memory in some mm-hmm. ways can we become stagnant in that and then marcus you and i have been asking and i think that the comments that both clint and Desandra are making here connect up with the questions that have framed many of the most recent conversations that you and i have had about who 
who are we and where do we want to, who do we want to be? Where do we want to go? And so I really appreciate the, the perspective that you're giving here um, on what is going on in your individual communities. And I'm curious from you, Clint. So do you think that the skills that you're developing and this, this is a process again, like I said, I think that the William Friday Fellowship is built in two very important components. And especially around this question of relationship building, which is listening and time. So you all are going to be together for two years and, I, and you're going to be communicating and that merit of, you know, that is intentional. Right. And so I think you've addressed that. But can you kind of share with the audience here? What is the intention behind the time, the space of two of two years for this fellowship to kind of unfold? Yeah, I appreciate the question. It's so lovely to hear uh, from my fellows and colleagues across the state, just their connection to community and and the work. So I'm appreciating the conversation and my own listening. Um, you know, the two-year time period is, is both the gift and the requirement of the fellowship. Two years is a, an incredible time commitment to make. You imagine all that can transpire in a two-year time frame. You can get a graduate degree. You could have a child. Uh, you could move. Uh, you know, so many, so many life changes can transpire. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a huge amount of time that we ask for because we know that the work of relationship requires that kind of commitment. And I think back to our first convening, which is the first of six that we'll have over a two-year period, and we're just getting started. And I think it's been so um, hopeful to hear reflected back some of DeSandra's and Clint's reflections from their first um, seminar experience, because it is true. I mean, it is a cultivated, curated space, right? What is the invitation we can extend? What kind of opening and beginning do we need in this particular cultural climate to have the courage to step up into a conversation? What kind of middle ground can we build together to stand on? that will sustain us for two years. And it does take time to exercise these muscles of listening and of being ready to hear things that are deeply challenging and to have enough um, relationship um, present to sustain uh, the differences in the room. And of course, those differences are seated by design. Mm-hmm. We do invite a cohort that is reflective of the state. And so the differences in the room are not all visible and they don't all surface in seminar one, again, by design, because we start with questions that are appropriate to the level of where our relationships are. And so the question that fellows took up really is around story and identity. Who are you? you know, where do you come mm-hmm. from? Who are your people? Mm-hmm. And I think it does create an opportunity to answer those questions, to really lean into um, to commonalities we might hear across our stories, to be ready to hold the differences and so that's the time period is is is, is a gift, uh, but it is also the work, and I'm a, I, I honor that that the concept of work that goes into the fellowship and and into the practice of relationship. You know, there's a related word that I love to just lift up and because it is the, the word of fellowship itself, relationship we've talked a lot about, but fellowship, or what is what does that mean? Like what does being a fellow mean? What does fellowship mean? And I'd love to lift up a Howard Thurman quote. We opened with this at seminar one. Howard Thurman, of course, uh, such a luminary in so many fields, uh, theologian, public scholar, civil rights activist. He said, hatred often begins in a situation in which there is contact without fellowship. 
contact without fellowship. And I sit with that because I think I try to tease out within that beautiful offering where relationship lies or what is, what is this fellowship and contact? What do these things have to do with the relationships that we're working to, to, to establish and the hatred that sort of that preconceived um, birth, birthright inheritance of hatred that we have in different ways. And how do we, how do we use this container of two years to, to find our way to one another and to build relationships that sustain and last. Mm-hmm. Well, thank there's, you. Your, 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 your comments there are just so, so pertinent, it seems to me. And it, and it makes me want to go back and, and sort of think with you all or hear from you all about what that first convening experience in October was like, um, especially given that, you know, we're living under the, the restrictions of the pandemic, which are restrictions that, you know, we, we probably could argue in various ways militate against relationship and fellowship, right? Um, so just curious to hear thoughts about what that what that first experience was like, given the restrictions imposed upon us by COVID. What was it like to sort of begin this two-year process of, of forging a, a fellowship, of, of fostering relational fellowship among, among, among yourselves? Um, uh, as 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 leaders, right? Who were seeking to grow in your in your in your leadership work? So so thoughts y'all have about that? Um, I think relationships was a given. I think because relationship means there's a connection, there are common denominators. But to go beyond relationships to fellowship, that is a whole different level. Meaning you want to do it, you mm-hmm. want to be together, you want to respect one another, and to take it beyond the first convening and to still be in contact without mandates shows you the type of fellowship that are cultivating. Um, when, you know, I remember um, Meredith and Darren and Clint, when we were to walk with one another, uh, my partner and I decided to walk and we videotaped our walk. We lived in similar neighborhoods, manicured lawns and all that. And then I put my camera on some of the flag posts living in a military town. Everyone has a flagpole in their yard. And the comments about the flag that was accompanying the American flag, which shows the current administrators, administration, mm-hmm. and the comments that were very open between my walking partner and myself of a different race, of a different gender. And to be in contact with that person today goes beyond just relationship that we're building something even more than that. And I think that is one of the main aims of the fellowship of the William C. Friday, that we have no choice but to have a relationship because of what we're here for, but to build a actual, an actual fellowship that is phenomenal. <laughs> Clint, your thoughts. Thank you. Yeah. Just- yeah, I, I, I echo what Deshandra was saying um, with the relationship piece. And I think that we will build upon our relationship to, to form that fellowship as we matriculate through um, these next two years. But I, I, I think I learned a lot. I, I learned like silence is golden. Mm-hmm. It's okay to sit and reflect and not always have a response um, right off to what someone might be saying. Um, and I think we, I appreciate the respect that we have for each other, that we gave each other that that time to reflect. Um, we didn't jump on anybody. We didn't say, hurry up, you know, you know, it's getting late, you know, anything like that. It was just, we just gave people time. 
And I think this group more than any other group previous, we were at a disadvantage, I would think, at first. At first, that was my thought. Walking into this, I say, pandemic, we have to plan differently. We can't be in each other's spaces the entire time. And I was like, you know, how can we get into that intimacy of each other? But I think, again, the way it was executed, um, we were able to be intimate. And I think, and I, as I think about it, it's because we were in our places and spaces where we're most intimate anyway, our homes. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to let our guard, our guards down a little bit more than if we were actually in a room of a place that we weren't right. familiar with. And so, you know, I'm at home. I have a, a glass of water right here. I have a piece of cake over here. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm at home in my space. And so it was like, it was like my turf and I'm inviting these people into my home. Mm. And so, you know, even though we weren't in the same physical space, at least for the, um, the, the first, the first night and then the second day we were at the, no, I, I get it mixed up. Yeah. yeah. We went, cause I was at Lattimore. Yeah. And so, but we weren't all together, all of us together. We still had that that comfort level with each other. Um, and so I, I, and we all allowed each other to be comfortable with each other mm-hmm. um, and gave each other that respect. So that's what I, that's what I garnered from and that's what I appreciated. Well, I, Clint, I think that there's a, again, you, you all keep making very important uh, comments. I think that are thoughts that are, can stimulate further conversation here. I mean, your use of the word reflection and being able to reflect. Marcus and I often talk about the the fast-paced nature of American society. So it's not conducive to reflection. I think Marcus and I have found, and I'm sure Meredith would agree here because we have talked about this, that, um, you know, Desandra, you and I as probation parole officers, we knew how that work was when we were doing it. And I had this very idealized version of what the academic world would be, you know, so I pursue, you know, uh, graduate degrees to go to the to the academic world because I'm hoping that it would be more conducive to reflection and quiet. But Marcus and I have quickly discovered being at the university and Meredith has discovered, Desandra, you were just talking about this before we even went on air uh, with the show about how even Thanksgiving was interrupted by, um, by your institution down there in Fayetteville. So this this creating the space for people to be reflective, I think, is really important. But I have a question, you know, as we come down on the last few minutes here, a question for both of you to think about, you know, why Marcus and I, you know, are glad to do this. This is a different conversation with people who are really on the ground working in their communities uh, in a way that's different from just kind of looking at this uh, through uh, books and doing research about it. I mean, you're on the ground. Um, Why is it important for us to have this conversation and to invite others in a larger audience and our audience to actually listen to this experience? Why do you think this is important for us to do? I think it's important to know why decisions are made. I, why there? Why um, someone thinks differently than I do, and when I may disagree with a decision, now I can respect by knowing it came from someone else's perspective and their how they perceive something may be. So um, as we move forth with changing the current pulse, hopefully that we can understand better, respect one another more so. Um, 
especially as leaders, we need to understand and be listeners and to understand that we're not making decisions just for ourselves, that is for the betterment of the whole community. So we're right on time and it's paramount at this moment to have this type of salad bowl mixture mm-hmm. of leaders. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Cassandra. Clinton, what are your thoughts as we get ready to come down on our last couple of minutes here? Having conversations with other individuals makes me more further realize that it's not just about me. Mm-hmm. It's not just about me. I am I am one piece of the tapestry. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, moving forward, in order for us to grow as a people, as a nation, as a community, we have to have those intentional conversations to build those relationships, which leads to change. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have those conversations, we don't have those relationship building um, sessions or anything like that, we will not be able to garner change. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Clint. Thank you. I thank both of you for this conversation. Meredith, thank you for the work that you're doing to convene this group and to cultivate this, this process over the next couple of years. Um, we're going to look forward to more conversations, Marcus, with uh, members of the fellowship class as we move along. Um, I think the conversations that we started out with, with both Meredith and then with Jojo, you know, really laid the groundwork for these further conversations for, and I'm sure that our audience is going to enjoy hearing what this experience is like. And we want to continue to explore, you know, how does this translate, you know, outside of the fellowship into the larger community and see what the result is going to be as we move forward. Marcus. I would echo that. And I think what I what I would add is just to sort of um, echo uh, the, the point that Meredith made in quoting Howard Thurman, that we really should should think seriously about forging relationships that conduce to fellowship. Right. So avoiding the danger of of, as Thurman would put it, contact without fellowship. And I think, unfortunately, you know, we we, we live in a society that that actually uh, conditions us to do just that. Right. To 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 be in contact with others, um, even in our community um, with no with 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 no fellowship. Right. Right. And and I think that is something that militates against um, a healthy, equitable society. You know, Marcus, that was an important uh, thought that uh, that they brought up, uh, that Meredith brought up about fellowship and Mm -hmm. and what that means. It it may be a word that we want to play with a little bit going forward as we think about it. We've been talking about relationship. So we may want to come back to this particular word, too. What does it mean to be in fellowship with our fellow citizens here in the state of North Carolina and in the in the nation at large? So Marcus and I, again, have enjoyed this conversation here on the Waters and Harvest Show with both DeSandra Washington and Clint Wilson. Both are members of the current seated class of the William C. Friday Faculty, of the William C. Friday Fellowship for Human Relations. Um, let me get that right. And so I'm so glad to be able to work with them and with Meredith. And we want to thank you for being here again. And Marcus and I want to remind you all in the audience that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at, by Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can catch our, our podcast on, on the NPR One mobile app, on bpr.org, on Apple Podcasts, and Google play and you can follow us and get in touch on facebook and twitter and then marcus and i are going to really look forward to being back with you all again desandra and clint thank you all for being here thank you so much thank you for being here as well 